to SkillsUSA's podcast channel. SkillsUSA podcasts are a combination of interviews, speeches from our national conference, and content from other podcasts or radio broadcasts, which we've been given permission to share. You can find all of our podcasts on iTunes or visit SkillsUSA.org and search podcast. So first of all, thanks to the guests that are here. Great to see Jack here from Frederick Tech. Great to see the folks from Rumsey out of West Virginia and from the Academies of Loudoun. So thanks so much for joining us. And uh, we're so fortunate today to have who I consider to be the expert in this, in this, uh, this topic. Uh, George has been a great friend for many years and an incredible supporter of SkillsUSA. His son, Justin, I was in Texas a couple years ago when his son, Justin, won the, uh, the best of show in the Texas Project, Project Showcase. And George is telling me what Justin is doing now. He's followed the trade and he's doing an incredible, incredible work and making more money than George ever dreamed. So maybe he'll support you <laughs> in his retirement, George. He's doing really good. But uh, George has worked extensively with ASE, with NATEF, now the ASE Foundation, with the Automotive Yes Program to develop and implement an initiative for the medium and heavy truck industry to partner with education and open opportunities for student internships across the country. George is a former high school and community college automotive technology instructor. He's co-authored instruction manuals for schools. And believe me, George's materials, the book that he's written, all the things that he's done, is really the, the national standard for how schools get certified, how they get accredited, how things work uh, inside those programs. He served on NATEF's Board of Trustees, was the liaison to AES, worked closely with the U.S. Department of Labor, Employment and Training Division, where he led the automotive strategic development team that advised the agency's high growth job training initiative. He was also selected by the agency to help improve the curriculum and training facilities of Job Corps programs and automotive services. He was a key stakeholder in federal automotive services grants designed to increase training capacity and raise career awareness for youth and other untapped pools of labor. George holds a degree in business management and marketing and ASE certifications in automotive medium heavy duty truck, parts specialist, truck and auto, and service consultant. So it's rare to find a person like George who has the credentials both in education and in the industry. And uh, we're so honored to have George with us today. So I, I think you're going to be WLTI in September. You didn't know this. You were the highest rated presentation there. So we expect the same today, George. <laughs> Thank you, George. George Harris. I don't know if that's good for me or bad for the rest of the people that were there. Good morning, everybody. Um, Tim said, George Aarons, I live in Lake Jackson, Texas. We're south of Houston, west of Galveston, eight miles from the Gulf of Mexico. Haven't been on the beach in 12 years. How's that? Nope. We're the home of Ron Paul. Good or bad, we got them, okay? We are heavy petrochemical. We truly are a petrochemical community. And right now, we have no unemployment in our community. The only people not working are the people that don't want to work. That's all there is to it. What I really want to talk to you today about is partnerships. That's what advisory committees are really about. And traditionally, education walks up to industry like this, when you should be walking up like this. And I can't tell you how many times I've sat in a school and the school needs something and they go, well, let's go see if industry will pay for that for us or if we can get industry to donate it. Stop right there. Industry's already giving you money. They're both personal and professional taxpayers in your community. And if you haven't done anything correct with the money they gave you in the first place to increase their business opportunities, why would they want to give you any more? But that's the opinion of education. Let's just go to industry. Time out, what'd you do with the money they gave you in the first place? Are you producing future workers? 
Do you have internships? Are you even inviting them to your school to be part of the advisory committee? We as CTE folks, we only have two customers. Think about it. The students and the people that hire them. Everybody else is in the way. And our one product, the student, is taking a chance and taking our courses or paying for our courses at post-secondary for us to give them a skill to go out into the workforce. But our other customer, the people that are buying the product we're producing, if we don't ask them what they need, how do we train them? And that's the problem. Education doesn't go out and ask industry what they need. They just give them what they've always given them. And that's where part of our problem is. In all my travels around the country, I hear of CTE programs closing all the time. Only ask one question. Did the program have an active industry advisory committee? 100% of the time, the answer is no. If industry doesn't know you're there, you're never gonna know you're gone. In 2011 at National ACTE in St. Louis, I was presenting on this subject and a gentleman from Anchorage, Alaska says, I need you to come to my school. I said, make it in the spring. <laughs> <laughs> it was the end of January. But anyway, so he came up to me and says, listen, I want you to come out. I want you to train my people. I want to spend some time with you. So we formed a relationship. But when he went back to Alaska, over Christmas break, he went out and invited over 300 businesses and industry to come to an open house at the King Career Center in Anchorage, Alaska in middle January. After that was over, he called me up and he said, George, you were never so right. He said two thirds of the industry folks that walked through the door of the King Career Center didn't even know the building was there and had been there since 1975. About eight years ago, the Fort Bend Independent School District right outside of Houston did a riff, a reduction in force. 40% of the CTE teachers were gone. The only people that missed them were their colleagues. Victoria, Texas, the school board was going to close the collision program and the advisory committee showed up at the school board meeting in force. That program still exists today. Industry drives the train. What people sometimes forget is every one of us in this room has a chain of command. And if I'm an instructor or even a CTE director of a large school district, what is my chances of meeting with a superintendent or anything like that? There's two answers, slim and none. But if I'm business and industry, guess what? I go straight to the top of the food chain and I'm gonna get things done. And in many of the programs that are really thriving here in the US, industry is driving the train. What are the top skills that industry wants from program graduates? And you're saying, well, what program? Doesn't matter. Tell me what the top things are. What else? Somebody else got a guess? Work ethic. Work ethic. Flexibility. Okay, folks, here's what it is. Show up on time, show up every day, and leave your cell phone in the car. Okay? And don't bring your mom to the interview. Okay? <laughs> you laugh. Folks, you laugh. Mom comes to the interview. Grandma comes to the interview. And the helicopter parents now exist in the workplace. If you truly are engaged in business and industry, you know that if you terminate 
a mid-20s individual, the likelihood of mom or dad coming to your place of business and chewing you out is high. Okay? How would you like to have that conversation? The problem is you. Okay? What role does industry and We laugh about it. Some of you in this room are helicopter parents, okay? Okay? You bet. We are not. Ask any of my kids. The first person that's going to tell us we're not good at it, dad. The first person that's good at it, dad. Okay? We don't, we don't, we don't play those games. We are tough. But what role does business and industry play in your community or in your program? I can't tell you. Tim and I were talking about this. Or I can't tell you how many times I talked to schools. They haven't had an advisory committee meeting in years. Uh, you take Perkins dollars, don't you? Hello? How do you make program improvement without asking your customer, how do you do? How many of you here like meetings? We love them, right? We love Tim's meetings, right? <laughs> we hate them, right? We hate meetings. You're sitting here going, if this guy's wasting my time, you could have just sent me the PowerPoint presentation and let me go about my business. How many times after a meeting, especially professional development, right? <laughs> you could have sent an email. You could have done a conference call, right? How many times one person stands up there and everybody listens, right? But when you invite business and industry to your schools and you do all the talking and they do all the listening, you wasted their time. They don't care what you're doing. It's important to know what they need. And most of the time, you're miles apart. 2004, I was a guest of the government of Oman. If you are geographically challenged like I am, it's between Yemen and Emirates on the Persian Gulf. I went halfway around the world to evaluate the automotive programs in Oman to determine what their problem was. I could have done it from my home office. It was simple. Education never talked to industry, and there was a 24-year gap in training. Somebody forgot to update the curriculum, so they were still teaching points and condensers in cars that use computers. Uh, pretty simple, you know what I mean? We hate meetings. Many schools schedule meetings to check a box. Don't do that. We're going to talk about that in great detail. Insurance. Every one of us in this room would not go anywhere without auto insurance, home insurance, life insurance, health insurance. You got job insurance? You got an industry-based advisory committee, you got job insurance. There's no administration in this country that's gonna close a program where business and industry is involved. It is not happening in my lifetime. They're gonna close all the other programs, but they're not closing that one. But why do we not want to bring business and industry in our schools? You know what I hear most of the time? I don't want industry in my business. That sends me right through the ceiling. It's not your business. It's their business. It's their money you're spending. It's the product that they need that you're supposed to be producing. But that's what I hear all the time. Employment picture is simple. Not complicated, gross domestic product. What we make, what we service. If that goes up, the jobs go up. That goes down, the jobs go down. Pretty simple. Doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out, does it? We talk about shortage. Now, I am the idiot 
that has written many articles that says we do not have a technician shortage. We do not. We have a shortage of qualified applicants for two different problems. You ask most employers, do you have a shortage of applicants or do you have a shortage of qualified applicants? Nearly 90% will say qualified applicants. That means it's not that I don't have people interested in working for me. They, for some reason, don't have the skill sets that I need to be hired. That's a problem. So two different problems. I can fix this one. This one's a little bit harder to fix, the people problems. And that's where the misconception is. We're short people. Kyle Holt was with us at the, uh, this week. Kyle Holt has SP2, it's safety and environmental training. Four months ago, I asked Kyle, I said, could you just do me a query of all the schools that you're in, how many auto collision and truck students have taken your safety and environmental training? No, you're not in every school. I'm just trying to get a snapshot. Secondary, post-secondary, auto collision and truck. And oh, by the way, since I live in Texas, give me the Texas numbers. Kyle, the other day when we were at TMC reported out 200,000 auto collision and truck students this year taking his training. Where the hell are they all going? In Texas at the high school level, automotive only, 11,600. Even if only half of those kids show up in the workforce, we wouldn't be having this conversation this morning. We got kids interested in our trade still. We just can't get them out the pipe. And ASE has just done a survey that validates that we're losing about 42% of the students from school till two years out. 42%. 18% of them are going to other trades. The scary part is 14% are going to retail food service. That screams McDonald's to me all day long. And to work in McDonald's, what's the most important thing you gotta know? You want fries with that? Right? Think about it. That's kind of scary. In Texas, if you've never been to a Bucky's convenience store, they are state of the art. I'm talking, you're talking marble countertops in the bathrooms, you're talking ceramic tile, you're talking 100 gas pumps, whatever. They have a sign out in front of ours. It says 14 to $15 an hour, 40 hours a week, three weeks vacation, full benefits, 401k, to work in a convenience store. Okay, kind of crazy, isn't it? H-1B immigration visas, we talk about them all the time. We're bringing people into our country that are trained or educated to do things in our country that we can't produce or fill the workforce for. Why are we doing that? There's a disconnect between industry and education. We don't communicate. We don't even talk the same language. That's what's sad. Structurally unemployed, I love this term. I'm not a big fan of economists, but they make weathermen look good, okay? But structurally unemployed, that person is either educated or trained, but their education and training doesn't match with the real world needs. How many kids we sent down the four-year college path only to find they're working at Starbucks or wherever, they're having a whatever. Yep, it's sad. And then we have the Bureau of Labor Statistics. We all love the BLS. Some of us just call it BS. You really got to know how to read it sometimes. And then we have many of our young people are underemployed. They, they took the bait. They went for the pot of gold. 
they went to school, did everything they were supposed to do. Now they got out, can't find a job. Yep. Workforce by generation. Traditionalists, they are the greatest generation. Baby boomers, I call us the gray hairs and the no hairs. Okay? We're a massive generation and we are retiring at an alarming rate over the next three decades. Then we have Gen X, your little generation. You folks just been mad at the world since you were born. I don't know what it is about you guys. You guys are finally getting over it, but you've been mad at the world. Okay? Then we got Gen Y. A good friend of mine, Eric Chester, is country's leading authority on Gen Y, and he spells it W-H-Y. They ask why about everything. And then we got the millennials. Now, my son, former Army, now paramedic, he's a Y. And he said, some idiot put the Ys and the millennials together. He said, I asked why I'm not needy, okay? Oh. That's all right. Oh. <laughs> this generation, whether it's why or millennial, we created it. It's our fault, okay? 100% our fault. What's wrong with this generation? We've been giving them a trophy for last place since they were six years old, and we should have said, pick another sport, okay? <laughs> How many of your kids and grandkids have walls of participating plaques and trophies that aren't worth the material it's written on? Do you know who started all this? The trophy companies. They're making a fortune off of you. But you keep putting it up on the wall and all the other stuff. Take the pictures they draw, still put them on the refrigerator. Don't worry about the rest of this. This generation doesn't understand about winning and losing. And when it doesn't go their way, they have a total meltdown. September 24th, Monday, the Starbucks app went down. Millennials could not get coffee because they don't carry money and they don't carry credit cards. They had to borrow something. The baby boomers, we just went to McDonald's. It was pretty simple. <laughs> Workforce gap. Here's what's important. We know those of us baby boomers are either leaving the industry or not going to make it to retirement either way. But we also know who's going to be entering the workforce for the next two decades. It's somewhere between the mother's womb and exiting the education system. We know what's out there. And the gap exists, I truly believe, because we're not talking to each other. We've got a lot of kids going in the wrong direction. And they're not entering the workplace where industry needs them. Bureau of Labor Statistics, every two years, most people don't realize, post the number of people in each occupation. Every occupation in this country has a six-digit code. I don't care if you're a CEO to a window washer. And then it projects out 10 years. And that tells you the growth and the growth in replacement. Growth means if I'm an auto dealer, I added a second shift, I added two more bays, I added a second location. Replacement is somebody left us, they died, they got promoted, whatever. So if you look over at automotive, it says that we need about 289,000 automotive technicians over the next 10 years. And you're going, well, George, that's a shortage. Somebody forgot to ask the other end of the question. How many would graduate a year? In automotive, post-secondary level only, we graduate 45,000 automotive students a year, times 10 years. We don't have a shortage. Diesel, nearly 11,000. George did his homework. Many of the other occupations. We're going to talk about that too. 
a quote. This was in the advisory committee minutes of a community college. I'm not telling you who. This was printed in the meeting minute. This company was trying to hire new employees. They had 40 jobs to bid on and could only bid on one. They didn't have the workforce they needed. How sad is that? And the community college had a program that was training to what they needed. But they couldn't get the workforce they needed. That's kind of sad. This slide right here is very powerful. A lot of people don't like this slide, okay? I love this slide. So they also post out how many people in the occupations based on their education. And in 2012, bachelor's degree, it tells you how many people and what percent, and then it tells you what the growth is. There it is. It's gonna grow by two-tenths of 1% over 10 years. Now, here's the one, go all the way to the far right. So it says people with bachelor's degrees make 60, 67,400. People with master's degrees only make 63,000. Uh, education doesn't pay. Why is that number the way it is? Do you know? I know. So, did you ever see an engineer that needed a master's degree? What is the lowest paid professional occupation on the total pole? Education. What is the only, one of the only occupations that increase pay by the amount of education you have? Education. Education is actually pulling down their own numbers. If you look at PhDs and doctors over here at 96,000, if my doctor doctor made $96,000 a year, I'm going to a different doctor. Okay? <laughs> Think about that. Let's look at the numbers. It's kind of scary. Historical perspective, industry and education have been islands onto ourselves. When I taught, I did it wrong. I am gonna tell you right up front, I did it 100% wrong. I was one of those people I talk about today. I sat in my shop, did my thing. If I just would've went out and asked industry what they needed, or if they would've just come to me and said, George, if you just do this, this, and this, your students would be more employable. I can tell you every day of the week, I think about those students that went through my program that fell through the cracks because I didn't do my job. And the results always haven't been as good, good as they could be. And honestly, in this century, our success is going to depend on our partnerships. CTE is in a positive limelight right now across the country. In Texas, through House Bill 5, we are busting at the seams, but we better produce a workforce. People are putting a lot of energy and effort and facilities into this. We better be producing a workforce. What we're gonna talk about this morning is the types of advisory committees. Who should be a member? Recruitment of members. Purpose of the proposed committee. Time, location, and agenda. And follow up with the advisory committee members. Meeting minutes. What role and value does your pro does advisory committee play in your program? Most people, they're not involved in budget decisions. They're not involved in your purchase decisions. They're not involved in how your <coughs> facility should look. They're not involved in anything. They show up and they eat cold pizza and you say, thank you for your time. Check the box and you go away until you see them next fall. Anybody know what that number means? That number just changed. 
That is the number of interns at Tabiski High School in Grand Prairie. Last year, they placed 587 students in internships. This year, they're just shy of 800. At a high school, everywhere from the police department to the fire station, to Holt Caterpillar, to Sewell, to a marketing department, you name it. Peter Holt owns the San Antonio Spurs, not a big guy. Grandfather started Caterpillar, publicly stated that the Bisky High School graduates have changed the culture of his company in Dallas. A third of his technicians graduated from that high school. Yes, sir. Just a quick note, our next partner summit where we bring industry partners together is going to be there and we're going to tour that school. Yep. Next. Uh, and, 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 if, and if you've never seen this school, I got to tell you, it, first of all, it don't look like a school. It looks like a hotel. You think you're in the wrong place. Yep. And they walk the walk. This school early on decided that no was not an answer. No started with a K and ends in a W and you just need more information. And whatever industry needs, we're going to make it work. And they're done. They bus every intern to and from work every other day. And in their senior year, they go to work from nine to five every day, every other day. You bet. It's crazy out there. Rick was with us just yesterday. They're doing some, but everything they do is based on what is important to industry and nobody else. So many people, and Tim and I talked about this, many schools love to have a shared advisory committee meeting. We want to bring all our industry partners in. We want to have one meeting. We want to feed them a meal. We want to tell them what we're doing and then say, get out of here. We've done our job. Complete waste of time. You're wasting my time, okay? The only time cosmetology is important to me is when I need my hair cut. The only time construction trade is important to me is if I need a roof or replace windows. I'm a car guy, so I wanna talk about. If we're gonna talk about anything else, you're wasting my time. These meetings need to be specific to the program. And when I ask people, why don't you have advisory committees? The number one answer is nobody to serve. You know what my response is? Then why do we need your program? Let's just cancel your program and use the money somewhere else. They go, no, 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 that's not what I said. That's what I heard. There's nobody to serve, we don't need your program. Let's just do away with it and use the money somewhere else. Here's the doo-doo out of them every time. Who should be a member? First of all, employers. The people who are actually going to do the employment. HR folks. This is the key right now that people are missing. HR folks hold the key to everything. If you've got a job that you are posting for your business, it's got to go to that HR person. And that HR person puts in their little two cents, which is about $40 worth of two cents. And then they post it electronically and nobody applies. It's not that nobody applies. Nobody gets out to shoot because you said you wanted this, they put in their two cents, nobody meets the criteria. Or somebody doesn't know to click that box, especially students, or this, and they go file 13 circular and G and never get to the place. I tell employers, if you're gonna post a job, go apply for the job you're posting. And if you don't come out of the chute, how do you expect anybody else? These people are powerful. 
Staffing agencies. Around Houston, we have more and more staffing agencies involved in our advisory committee. Somebody says, wait, they get a fee. I don't care. If they're placing kids in business and those kids are making money and they're happy, who cares? Staffing agencies understand the philosophy of the HR people and know how to fix those gates that normally get stuck. <clears throat> Staffing agencies are also one of the killers of many of our occupations because they look at their job description and skill set. And if it's an industry that does not have a program at the high school or college level, they're going to go find a program that teaches those skill sets and they're going to go chase down those kids to get them into their occupation. A lot of automotive and diesel students are winding up in aviation, advanced manufacturing. Number one in Texas, wind generation. When did you ever see a wind generation program? There's one in Texas. It's in Sweetwater, Texas. Now, Sweetwater is not the end of Earth, but you can see it from Sweetwater, Texas. Okay? <laughs> That's it. Only thing out there is TSTC and a bunch of wind generation units. But they're coming into our schools. And they're hiring these kids. They're finding the kids that love to fish and hunt, like to be on their own. They offer them up a truck, no tools, and a great starting salary, and no boss to worry about you. You got to go out to the wind generation unit. Just you can't be afraid of heights. That's, that's the big easy one. Okay. But staffing agencies understand those people and can clarify things for you. Technicians and related occupations, people that are actually doing the job that you're hiring for or that you're training to. Parents, parents of current and former students. It's powerful to have them on the committee. Kids still talk to their parents. Suppliers, this one kills me every time. Suppliers that sell you anything in your program should be on your advisory committee. But any supplier also supplies every business related to your occupation in the community with the same material. Those people can know where all the bosses are, where all the hiring is, let them open the doors for you. If I'm an auto program and I deal with an O'Reilly parts store, they already work with every business in the community. Why not get them? If I'm a cosmetology instructor and I'm buying these hair care products, guess what? Every salon in my community, they're selling the hair care products. They already know who the key people are. Manufacturers. Especially on the car side, if you know who the manufacturer's reps are and you know when they're going to be in the area, schedule the meeting convenient to them. This is another one that gets me. We talk about articulation every day. We love it. We talk about articulation, dual credit, all these wonderful education words. How many times is the instructor at the secondary level on the advisory committee of the post-secondary and the post-secondary is on the of the, of the secondary, so they both know what each other's teaching. The answer is slim and none. They don't even get invited to each other. How do you articulate when you don't even know what each other's doing? Gotta love that one. Folks, the number one person to be on your advisory committee is former students. There's the true checks and balances. How do you make program improvement unless you ask your customer how do we do? Every one of us in this room, you fly on an airplane, you buy something from Amazon, you stay in a hotel, what do you get? A survey. Why do you get that survey? They want to increase their customer service and make sure that your experience was positive. 
if we don't survey or include those former students, how do we know that what we're teaching is relevant and that some of the former students that may have wanted into our occupation couldn't because they lack certain skill sets that we didn't teach them? That's the key right there. Former students, number one, you can't make program improvement without asking your customer, how do we do? And then the administration. I can't tell you how many times nobody wants to invite the administration. I chaired the advisory committee at Cypress Ridge High School in the Cypress Fairbanks School District, third largest school district in Texas, 12 high schools, 12 automotive programs. We had our own little specific. No less than two times the superintendent of schools has been in our advisory committee meeting. Showed up, all you gotta do is invite them. Many school districts, if you invite them, they'll show up. And if I know the superintendent's coming, I'm changing the agenda. I don't ever schedule losing ball games. I create my agenda on things that I need to accomplish. So if there is a concern, and I know the superintendent's coming, I'm gonna make some modifications to address those concerns in a positive way, but to make sure he knows this is a problem. Cypress Fairbanks, they have five maintenance facilities. They roll over a thousand buses a day. But at the time, the transportation director would not take interns into their maintenance facility. Now, mind you, they wanted local employers to take interns, but they weren't willing to do them themselves. So my buddy, who was the instructor and is now the foreman, told me superintendent's coming. Perfect. Modified the agenda. One of our key advisory committee members, big Chevrolet dealer, I said to Ronnie before the meeting started, I said, Ronnie, I'm going to tee up this point. I said, all I need you to say is help me understand that you want us to hire your students, but you're not willing to, and I'll take it from there. So we get to that part of the agenda, tee it up. Ronnie says his thing. The superintendent looks over to my buddy and goes, what that man say? And my buddy goes, our boss won't allow us to hire our kids. What? Two weeks later, problem solved. The Cypress Fairbanks School District is now growing their own workforce from the product they produce. What a concept. Fredericksburg, Texas. We had a problem that next to the auto shop was the construction trades program, and they did their projects for Skills USA and all this stuff. At a certain time of the year, they sprayed lacquer. And the fumes would come over into the auto program and just take over. Well, those kids had masks on. We scheduled our spring advisory committee meeting on that day. We knew they were spraying. And I knew the superintendent was coming because I know the guy. And I knew that the head of maintenance was coming. So I didn't have to say anything. We started the meeting. I'm going through. And then all of a sudden, here comes the whip. And I just go, what's that? And the instructor, he goes, that's what they're doing over there. We have to inhale that all the time. And then I said, you ever put a work order in for that? He said, four or five times. Only thing that happened, superintendent looked over and said, fix it. That was it. Problem solved. Okay. That's what it is. People schedule meetings for a reason. I take it completely different. I start with what do I want to accomplish in this meeting? And I build my agenda from there. I'll schedule a losing ball game. I already know the answers to the questions before I ask them. And all I do is control the meeting. 
recruitment of members. God love you folks. People say, we invited industry and they didn't show up. It's your fault. It's 100% your fault. I'm going to tell you that. Especially if you use the US map. You sent it out on a school letterhead in a school envelope and nobody showed up. Great. You guys all get back to school tomorrow or whatever, or get back after the summer, you get a pile of mail. What are you looking for in that mail? Check. They ain't there, but you're looking for one, right? Bills you put over here? Everything else? Industry sees something from a school district in the mail that think one of two things. School wants money or school wants money. They've already been hit by the football booster, the band booster, the ad kids, all those other stuff. You're just there. And if that person doesn't work there anymore, it never gets open. If they don't know who you are, Folks, do not use the U.S. map. Do not. Get your butts out of your classroom and go meet business and industry. Walk through the front door. You want to see the guy or gals whose name's on the marquee. You want to go in. You want to introduce yourself. You want to ask them, do you have a need for entry-level employees? They're all going to say yes. Say, are you willing to give me an hour and a half of your time twice a year to tell me what to do to properly prepare a young person to come to work for you and then you apply CPR because they're going to hit the floor because <laughs> nobody's ever asked it before. Now, before you do that, this is important. One of my close friends, Steve Johnson, races pro stock motorcycle. He's a drag racer professionally, won the U.S. Nationals twice. He loves education. He loves CTE education. But he does a workshop and taught me a lot about branding yourself after the diploma. If there's 40 people applying for the same job, what is your brand that is going to separate you from the other 39 that's going to make me want to hire you? So before you go out to meet business and industry, and you here at SkillsUSA know that very much, if I'm wearing my school logo or my ASE logo or my SkillsUSA, I'm representing that organization wherever I go. And when I walk through the front door of an employer, I better look professional. If I don't, they're going to take what they see in you and relate it to your entire school. Everybody. Because you're what they saw. And if you're wearing that brand, they're going to think it's about what that brand is worth. And let's be honest. Every one of us in this room, when we meet somebody new or whatever, we form an opinion just by their looks, the clothes they wear, the shoes they wear, the way they wear their hair. It's not until they actually open their mouth that they either confirm or deny your, your, your opinion, right? You bet. Remember when I was a kid, you walked down the high school hall, there was this pretty girl and you wanted to meet her, but you know she was way over your league. Then all of a sudden, three weeks later, you're hanging out with your friends and she's in the group and she opens your, her mouth and you go, I don't want to afford that. You know what I mean? <laughs> or vice versa, you ladies go, I don't want to afford that guy. Right? When we're going to go out and visit business and industry, you are representing your brand. And if you're not doing that correctly, if you don't dress properly, that's it. If I go to one more conference where people show up as if they're on vacation, I am going to have a cow. I got to tell you, it drives me nuts to see an instructor walk in in shorts and flip-flops and a shirt hung out, dragging a bunch of kids. What do those kids know? That's the norm. I don't want to introduce them to business and industry. Phone. Once you've established a relationship, it's okay to use the phone. 
do not, I repeat, do not put your friends on your advisory committee. Why? They will not tell you what you need to hear. They're afraid of hurting your feelings. I, on the other hand, everybody knows me, I don't care. Okay, I'm worried about two people, your students and the people that hire them, and you could be in my way. Done. You need those people that are willing to tell you what you need to hear to make program improvement. Email, this is important. Everybody wants email these days, but if you're starting a new advisory committee, blind CC everybody. Do not share supplier information with employer information or vice versa. Let them figure that out by themselves. When I chaired CyRigs for 13 years, I sent all emails out, and after three years, we were an established group, I didn't have to do that anymore. But for the first three years, nobody knows who was getting that email. No ifs, ands, or buts. Do not share others' information incorrectly. While you're out meeting business and industry, determine a chairperson. If you are an educator or administrator, you are the worst person to chair your advisory committee, especially if you're the instructor. How do I look at my boss and go, when are you going to take care of that? That goes over like a lead balloon, but I'm industry and I go, so when are you going to take care of that? I don't care what comes out of your mouth, it's in the meeting minutes. Okay, and what are we going to talk about the next meeting? Did you get that done? How are you as an instructor going to look at your boss and go, did you get that done? I can do that all day long. You bet. And I don't care what they say, it's in the meeting minutes. Use Outlook. Here's why people don't show up to your meeting. You send them an inv invitation, what, six days ahead of time, I'm having a meeting next week, give me a break. Or Tuesday, two weeks from now, give them a chance to show up. But if you send it out on Outlook, within 15 minutes, you know who accepted who denied and who's tentative. And if a bunch of people decline, you know that it's the wrong time and let's reschedule, okay? And when you send it out, make sure you include the agenda. Make sure you include past meeting minutes if there are any. Include the location on where it is and any other information. You are now, when they accept, you are locked into their calendar. Give them a chance to show up. If you don't do at least 30 days, I say 45 days out, that's why they're not coming. Every one of us has schedules, right? And if I said I want to do something next Tuesday, half of you say, I can't do it next Tuesday. Business and industry the same way. Give them a chance to show up. Purpose of the proposed committee, what's in it for me. If you can't determine the what's in it for me, for everybody you invite, don't invite them. You're wasting their time. Do not waste business and industry's time. Know your agenda, know what's important, and make sure you cover the what's in it for me. Every time. For every person that's going to be there. Or it's just like the meetings you've sat in and you've hated. Because there was nothing in it for you. What do we want to talk about? We want industry's advice. We want to know what's going on. What is important to them? Technology changes. Our industry technology changes monthly on your car. It's that quick these days. It's not a new model year every year. It's monthly that things can change on the automobile. This one gets me every time. Nobody ever asked industry, what are your employment needs? How do you know what's going on if you don't? 
if you have administrators in the room, especially those that know nothing about your program, which is most of them, and you have seven industry folks and they say, I need six, I need five, I need four, I need three, but in uh, two months, I'm gonna need eight. That validates the need for your program. But if you don't ask, you just invited them and you lost an opportunity to potentially place your students in their places of business. They're not coming to your meeting because they're good citizens. They need workforce folks. And they're hopefully looking to you to get it. Program improvements. Through the ASC accreditation process, we require the advisory committee to do a facility evaluation annually. And a lot of people just send them out to the shop and they look around and say, everything's pretty. There's no such thing as everything's pretty shop. There's always something wrong. So I created a sheet and had them go look for things. When Cy Ridge opened, brand new high school, beautiful facility, 11 things wrong in a brand new high school automotive program. Boom, you bet. First meeting, incandescent bulbs on the drop lights. We're saying you can't do that. One of them hits the floor, there's oil or something, it's gonna cause a fire. CT, director and coordinator says there's nothing we can do, it's a new building, principal, wonderful man. Doesn't know anything, goes, what are you guys talking about? Incandescent bulbs, hit, fire, boom, you gotta replace them. Well, everybody, there was this little discussion. Three weeks later after the meeting, guess what happened? Bulb hits the floor. Small fire in the auto shop, kids put it out. We were never questioned again for 13 years. Okay, that's all there is to it. Certification, Tim and I had this conversation earlier. I'm gonna have this conversation every day. Education loves credentials. It is one of the magic buzzwords. It's that check in the box. But if that credential has no value to business and industry, why are you wasting student time and taxpayer money doing it? Okay, picture this. Your student took some certification, whatever it was, and spent all this time accomplishing it, and it's on their resume. They walk into an employer, they're interviewing, and the employer goes, what's this certification? And the kid goes proudly, I did this, I did this, I did this. And the employer goes, I have no idea what that is. It has no value to me. What did you just do to that kid? You just knocked the wind right out of their sail. Before you engage in any certifications, whether it's program or industry or student or professional specific, ask industry what's important to them. Anything else, you're just wasting money. You're training down a pathway that nobody cares about. It's got to be related to what's important to them, to put your students that brand ahead of everybody else. And without that, you don't have that. Perkins funding, Perkins Five's coming out. Everybody has Perkins funding, everybody spends it, but nobody ever asks industry what they need. It's, it's incredible, it just drives me bonkers. Graduate follow-up, we talked about former students. In the ASE accreditation process, one of the things that we require is when the graduates go out in the workforce, we survey them for curriculum, tools and equipment and program. We need their feedback to find out what we did good and what we may not have done good. We wanna survey the graduates that furthered their education or are in the workplace. The most important people we wanna survey are the ones that didn't. We need to know why. I can tell you nearly 50% of the time, it's not because they weren't interested in the occupation, it's because <laughs> there was something that they needed that they didn't have 
that either got them fired or not get the job with that employer. It's that simple. And sometimes it's a minor change in curriculum or delivery. This one right here is probably the saddest statement I've ever seen in an advisory committee meeting. I gotta tell you, this one crushes me every time I read this. That was in the meeting minutes that are public to anybody. What does that say? Instructors say, it's not my job. I just train you. You figure it out all by yourself. I gotta tell you, a friend of mine who works at that school, when he saw that, came unwound. I do this workshop for some schools, uh, mainly uh, some high schools, but some post-secondary. And if I do, I want all their advisory committee minutes prior for the last year so I can read them, so I can understand what they're doing and not doing, so I can personalize. I have an advisory committee at school that I did, 16 administrators in the advisory committee meeting, 16, four industry people. You know what my response was? Must have been a hell of a lunch. <laughs> Must have been a hell of a lunch. Yep. That's what we're dealing with. Oh, here's why they don't show up. This is simple. We're already here at school. The end of the day, we'll have the meeting at 3.30. I'm already at school. I'll stay a little longer. Boom, then I'll go home. No big deal. Nobody shows up. Or I'll just have it in the evening, 5 o'clock. How many of you here in the room have children? How many of you got grandchildren? I got my first. You bet. She's awesome. You bet. Do you, and are your children and grandchildren involved in Little League, softball, Pop Warner, church, Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts, swimming, underwater basket weaving, all that? Yeah. Do you know that industry has children and grandchildren too? Did you know that? And when are all these activities? In the evening. When do we have advisory committees? In the evening. But also, you got to understand your occupation. My occupation, evening is horrible. Service managers and advisors are lizards. You know why they're lizards? Every afternoon at 5 o'clock, they get their butt chewed off. They go home, grows back. Go back to work the next day. So customers can chew it off the next day. But when do they get chewed out? 5 o'clock. Find what time is best for industry to meet and not you. I've got a bunch of schools that their advisory committee meeting is first thing in the morning. Think about it. If you have it first thing in the morning, you get a chance to get it before anybody got a chance to make a map. Think about it, right? They're still in a good mood. You feed them some coffee, some juice, you get your stuff done in an hour, out the door. The best time, lunch. 30 to 1. Perfect time. Okay? But we'll talk about a few other things. Evening, if you have them in the evening and nobody shows up, that's why. Don't do it. Do not make the meetings convenient for you. Make it convenient for industry. When you go out to meet them, ask them when's best to meet. They're going to tell you. Schedule your meeting 45 days out. I'm telling you, at least 30, but 45 days out. Give them a chance to show up. I believe in the 111 method. Even though we use Outlook, one month out, there is an email sent from me when I was at Cyridge just reminding everybody. 
But one week out and one day out, normally we did phone. And who did the phone calls? Students. Industry loves talking to the kids on the phone. And when that kid's got some phone etiquette and some presence about it, as soon as that employer shows up at the meeting, they want to meet that kid. Who was the kid on the phone? I want to meet that kid. It's part of the things that we teach at Skills USA. You need to grow those. You need them to be able to communicate. Location. I can't tell you how many schools they'll have their advisory committee meeting at a restaurant or they'll have it somewhere else. Have the advisory committee meeting in the lab shop area. Well, you say, well, my shop's a mess. I don't care. Industry needs to see what you have, but more importantly, they need to see what you don't have. How can they help you unless they know what it looks like? And in an automotive shop, we need them to walk through the shop and see environmental issues, safety issues. We walk through our programs and you guys walk through these halls every day. But I could walk through the hall and go, why is that there? And you go, been there 20 years, I don't know why. Same thing in auto shop. Why is that there? I don't know, always been there. In an auto shop, when I walk into an auto shop, all I do is do a quick 360. If I can't see all the fire extinguishers, neither can anybody else. Think about that. Or any CTE program, have the program there in the facility. Let them know the environment that the students are learning in, but also the environment that you have to work in, good or bad. Now, once you've established your committee at Cy Ridge, one of our meetings a year was at the principal's conference room and one of ours was in the auto shop. But we had three meetings a year. We had three. The one meeting we had at a local business. Our businesses look forward every year to being the company that hosted the Christmas Advisory Committee. And that meeting was for the principal to thank business and industry for their support. So we would go to Stuart Stevenson or the Honda dealer or the Chevrolet dealer. How many administrators have ever been through past the showroom of a dealership? Slim and none. We're taking the administrators out of their comfort zone and moving them directly into industry to see what goes on on a daily basis. Some of these dealerships are palaces. They need to be able to see that. They need to understand the work environment that these students are gonna be in and the true potential income that they have. The only way to do it is you've gotta get them out of their comfort zone. And all of our business partners always wanted to be the one to host the meeting to show off their place of business. Oh yeah, and they hosted the lunch, they paid for everything, it was great. Agenda, this is really important, time allocation. If you have six items on the agenda and it's an hour and a half meeting, and after an hour and a half you only got through two things, table the rest. If you keep going, industry's gonna stay because they're professional, they ain't never coming back. Because you invaded on their time and another meeting and they're going to be professional, but their tick ain't coming back. You didn't utilize their time properly. And I've been in some meetings. We got to item number two, and we stuck, got stuck there. At 5.59 at a 6 o'clock cutoff, I told everybody, listen, meeting is, is going to end. We'll table the rest of the next meeting. All everybody wanted to know is when we're going to have the next meeting. Because everything we were doing was important to them, and we'll discuss that in a little bit. Curriculum. Every school loves to tell them what they teach. Industry doesn't care, okay? They don't even know what the word curriculum means. 
Honestly, if I asked every one of you in this room what curriculum was, I'd come up with the same number of people in the room plus one. How's that? If you're going to talk about curriculum, ask industry what they need, and then show them where you teach it. And if you don't teach them, teach it, figure out if you can implement it, and show them where you put it in. That's what you need to be doing. Program facility evaluation. They need to see what you have and what you don't have and truly how you've been spending your money in the first place. I can tell you, we have moved mountains in facilities. Cattle Career Center in Shreveport, Louisiana, years back. Uh, Gail Flower, that lady is the softest speaking woman ever. She carries this massive stick that I've never seen, but I know she swings it like nobody's business. But they had a horrible facility and business and industry came in and said, this is not adequate. And then that group of them went to the school board and said, listen, the facility is inadequate for our needs. You need a new facility. And what did the school board say? I got a level. Thank you for your time. We'll take that under consideration. Well, it was a bunch of car dealers. You ever told car dealers no? Don't do that. Don't ever do that. Okay. So a couple months later, they walked in and they said, um, folks, we were not asking. This is what we pay in sales tax. This is what we pay in payroll tax. This is what we pay in school tax. We're not asking. We need something that works for us. So now when you go to Cattle Career Center, in the back there's this big building. It's an auto program. It has a bunch of bays, two glass enclosed classrooms, and in the back of the instructor's office is a private bath and shower. Okay? Industry drives the train. Kurt Lewis, uh, CTE High School in Pasadena, Texas, $37 million facility. Oh, yeah. It wasn't that the school board woke up one morning and said, we're going to build one of these. This business and industry said, I'm tired of dealing with five high schools, put it all in one place. And they did, so CTE High School. They had 1,200 slots. First year, 2,500 applicants to 1,200 slots. Their automotive program, you can put a 737 in the shop, wings would never touch the walls. Yeah. They have a, in their criminal justice program, they have a full-blown courtroom and they hold juvenile court there every Wednesday. And it's Texas, so they have a gun range too. <laughs> it's not real guns, it's, you know, the soft stuff. Yeah, but yeah, so. Barriers to entry. Some of you in this room have no idea what I'm talking about. But if you don't ask industry, what are the barriers to entry to their occupation? Your students could have all the certifications, perfect attendance, be the best in your class. But if they can't get past those items of barriers to entry, they're never going to be employed. In our industry, driver's license check, drug test, background check. But what you don't understand is students go, I don't know, we had a traffic ticket. Nothing on my record. Um, forgot to tell you, background check, they're going to your social medias. Industry, because they can't ask a lot of questions in an interview, they don't have to anymore. You guys gave them all the answers. You put it on your Facebook page, right? It's, it's incredible. And then you wonder why people don't call you or want to hire you. Look at your Facebook page. Yep. What, the, what people don't realize is I took a selfie. I put it on my Facebook page. Well, behind me in the selfie was four thugs. I'm an employer. Go to your Facebook page. I see five thugs. Right? I don't know you. You don't know me. We don't know each other's humor. How many of us in this room ever sent an innocent text only to be misinterpreted on the other end 
and we spent the next 24 hours apologizing for something we didn't do wrong. Put it out there for God in the world to see, and sometimes you make the six o'clock news, right? Or the 10 o'clock news. You didn't do anything wrong, just that somebody didn't like the way you said it. I do not have a Facebook page. People I didn't like 30 years ago, I'm not gonna like today, okay? <laughs> no way, man, your box. But students need to understand that from employers. At Cypress Ridge, also, our seniors, our seniors, many of them had an internship, they always attended the fall meeting, always. We wanted to know how they enjoyed the internship, and more importantly, what could we do to improve their program, but they got to see what business and industry was doing for them. It was very powerful. We also created a letter jacket for automotive technology at SciRidge. The Skills USA officers came up with their criteria, sent it to us. We added discipline and attendance and a couple other things. And then it was approved by the school district. So if any kid earned a letter jacket in automotive technology, then in the spring, the instructor would say, George, we got seven kids that earned jackets. I'd send an email out to the advisory committee members, and in under 15 minutes, all of them were paid for at 96 bucks a pop. But in Houston, Texas, in the middle of May, before school's out, we got a bunch of auto kids in, leather, in letterman jackets. We had 200 kids on average apply for 40 slots. That was our marketing tool. You bet. And were we willing to pay for it? You bet we were. Because it drove some really quality kids into our program. Sample meeting agenda. We do the welcome, we do introductions, and we do employee. In introductions, I do something very interesting. I ask your name, who you work for, and your first car. Now, all of you in the room are not automotive people. And I honestly don't care about your first car, but your first car will tell me what generation you're from. Okay, because you're gonna tell me the date. And the passion that you do or do not explain about your first car tells me your engagement in the meeting. So I already know a lot about you before we even start the meeting. So I know who's in the game and who's just along for the ride pretty quick, okay? So I know the Xers, the Boomers, the Millennials, all that really quick, because I had a 75 this, I know where you sit. I got a 93 this, I know where you sit, you know, there you go. But we do that. Then we, the first thing we do is employer's needs. What skills do you want? We will talk for 45 minutes. Not once will a technical skill come up. Never. Can you get them to show up on time? Can you get them to show up every day? Can you have them work at it? Can you get them to look me in the eye? Can you get them not to tick off my customer? You hear that all day long. Can you tell them not to bring their mom? Can you tell them to leave the cell phone in the car? This and that. They'll go on and on and on. And then when it's all said and done, you say, wait, I'm teaching automotive. They go, if you can do that, we'll do the rest. Yep. And you hear it every day, right? How scary is that when industry says, if you can just do that, I'll do the rest. Yep. And a lot of industry folks, they're not kidding. You can do those, oh. A lot of times I don't care what grades are when I'm talking to people, students. I wanna know what your attendance is. If your attendance isn't high, I don't care how good your grade is. There's no way I want you involved in my activities. No way. When I was doing some work with the Wheel Time Network, we went and it was gonna do a special project for students that met a certain criteria. And we had to have this document signed by the president of the college. 
and we require 97% attendance and only 85% grade point average to, for those students that met that criteria for us to do things for them. President of the college says, we can't do that. I said, why not? He says, because uh, student financial aid says they only have to be here 90% of the time. Well, I'm fair about that. This is our initiative. He said, we can't do more than 90%. So I said to him, I said, you okay with your staff and professors showing up only 90% of the time? He goes, no. I said, neither am I. We went to another school. That was it. Done. We talk about recommended credentials and certifications. We get that right off the top. What is important to you? I said, what's important to me as an educator? What's important to you? And then we talk about these barriers to entry. And this is really important because a lot of time on the education side, they don't understand what business and industry are dealing with these days. And the crap that they have to go through to get somebody hired. And if you've never asked a company what it takes to post an ad and put somebody on the shop floor on the first day, it's sad. I can tell you on some of the fleets that I deal with, it's between seven and $9,000 just to put an experienced tech on the shop floor first day. For everybody that's got to touch that application and all the things they have to go through, it's nearly nine grand. If they have a thousand technicians with a 20% turnover, do the math. That's a lot of money. We need to understand what's important to industry so we're driving that train in the program. We ask them about their staffing needs. We want to know right up front, is there truly a need for our program? We know there is, but we need to validate it from them. Are you willing to do internships and work-based learning? A lot of them say, yes, we would love to. Some of them are paid, some of them are unpaid. Program accreditation. If your program or the occupation that you're teaching has a program accreditation, is it important to industry? And if so, what are the expectations or measurable outcomes in your program? And if it doesn't match business and industry, you need to get input from business and industry on skills that are important to them to add to your program. Any additional passive skills budget, you want to talk about how much money the program has or how much it doesn't have. You need them to know how much of their money you're spending on this program and truly how much money you're spending on them because that's what it's all about. Conduct a facility evaluation. If you have a lab shop area, you want them to go out and, and evaluate that. You want them to see what's right or what's wrong. And if something comes up that's wrong, whether it's a maintenance issue, a safety issue, or environmental issue, when we come back in the meeting, who's going to take care of that? Who's going to address it? But we're going to put it in the meeting minutes, so at the next meeting, was that taken care of? And sometimes it's the advisory committee that has recognized a facility concern that's big enough to get the attention of the superintendent to fix it. Somebody's been sending in a work order for years, but it's fallen deaf on somebody's desk. Now all of a sudden industry says, that is unsafe. This is bad. El Paso, Texas. I asked them to, to have somebody come in and inspect their lifts in their program. They had nine lifts. Five of them were red tagged. Red tag means you don't use it. The next time I showed up, the instructor was using two of them. And the red tag was still on it. We had another school district found out that their lift was in two inches of concrete. You go, so big deal. Minimum is six inches for a car lift. Then dig up the floor. We don't know what we don't know. 
committee recommendation from the meeting right there. Then we all have open discussion and set the next meeting agenda. For the schools I work with, if I can't be there to lead the meeting, I create talking points. So whoever's gonna chair that meeting has the talking points to start the discussion. I don't schedule losing ball games. No way, they're ready to go. There's our first page of my facility evaluation. We look at fire, eye safety, uh, general lab and shop equipment, all of that stuff in the program. Second meeting agenda, welcome introductions, review and approve advisory committee, review curriculum. What I mean by that is, what did we talk about at the last meeting? What are the things that you in business and industry said you'd love to have in the program? And now you're gonna show them where you're either implemented it into the program or when you can or why you cannot. Industry is okay if you can't implement something as long as you can tell them why. Just don't say we don't do it. We can't do it because of this. They're okay with that. Highlight the employer needs and, and additional tasks. Update on facility concerns. Okay, we found these four items. Ms. Smith, you said you're gonna take care of these two. Mr. Jones, you said that. Where are we at? These two have been taken care of. These two are scheduled over the summer. Okay, it's in the meeting minutes. Boom, we know what's going on. All right, this is where we do student and graduate surveys. Through the ASC accreditation process, we survey our current students and we survey the graduates. And we ask the instructors to summarize their findings and report out to the advisory committee of what's going on. And then recommendations are made. At Cy Ridge, the first year we found out it was electrical and all the employers agreed, says, yeah, we hired some of your kids, great kids, but they're really lacking in electrical and we had to retrain them. Come to find out, we did a deep analysis and the instructors, the curriculum, all that was great, but he only had two electrical training aids for 22 students. So we recommended they buy more electrical training aids so they could break the number of training aids down to a smaller number of students. Next year in our surveys, problem solved. But something else popped up and we addressed it at that point. <clears throat> Update up purchases. What did you spend the money on? I can't tell you how many times the school says, I'm gonna go buy one of these, and industry says, don't do that. We don't use that anymore. Or we have a supplier that can get it this, or we have an extra one in our dealership, we'll give it to you. Just gotta bring it up in conversation. There's a lot of stuff out there. Mike just came to me this morning and says, hey, Navistar's got a bunch of other stuff they wanna donate. They had a bunch of truck alignment machines that they needed to donate. I found two schools. Just like that, boom, that'll take them. Yep. Internships, this is where we are finalizing in the second meeting, the spring meeting, the internships and work-based learning. What are the students gonna do? How long are they gonna work? Uh, what do we need to be looking at? All that other stuff. I'll give you a copy of this presentation. This is not private. I share this with God in the world, no problem. You bet. And then set the next meeting. If you notice, in those two meetings, I cover everything that is required by ASE, and everything I do relates to my customer, the student, and the employer. It has nothing to do with you as education. That's what it's all about. And at Cy Ridge, we had 20 to 21 industry members. We had an average of like 18 to 19 show per meeting. Now, ASE requires a minimum of five, I say between nine and 11. But if you live in a large metropolitan area and you can't come up with nine or 11, that's another problem. 
There's this thing, you millennials don't know what it is, but there's this thing called the yellow pages. <laughs> it still exists somewhere. But if you go in the yellow pages and open up for your occupation, you might find pages and pages of people promoting their business, right? Everybody in that yellow pages is a potential advisory committee member. Everybody and everybody who works for them. Pretty cool little document. They're hidden somewhere. You can't find one, go to a hotel, probably one's still in a hotel room somewhere. All right. <laughs> Some people don't even invite their own transportation department from their school district to serve on the advisory committee. There you go. There's a good one, right? Oh, yeah. Hello. Uh, they probably need technicians. We always think about the common stuff. We never think about fleets like the police department, fire and rescue, Pepsi-Cola, FedEx Freight, Walmart, UPS, those folks. They all have fleets, massive fleets. The other thing is you say, well, we don't teach diesel. doesn't matter. Diesel guys are more than willing to come take your auto kids. No way, fans, and bus. And many of your auto kids want diesel, but you don't offer it at your school, so they took the next best thing, which was auto. And some of your other programs are that way. They want this, but all you offer is this, so they take that. But if somebody shows up that is where they want to be, they gravitate to those. Dubisky High School does not have a diesel program, but Peter Holt's workforce is being created by an automotive program. In Houston, it's Mustang Caterpillar through the Cy Ferris School District. You bet. Yeah. This is a copy of the graduate survey. One of my schools put it on SurveyMonkey, had, the, had them do it, and SurveyMonkey kind of just uh, made it look really pretty and shared it with the advisory committee. Um, this is important, taking the meeting minutes. You need to have somebody committed to taking the meetings. Their role and responsibility in the meeting is minutes only. If it's not in the meeting minutes, it did not happen, okay? I don't care what you say, if it's not in the meeting minutes, it did not happen. Do not, your, your meeting minutes need to be detailed, not stupid bullet points. I don't need an hour and a half meeting to take up half a page bowl. Cy Rig, hour and a half meeting, including lunch, four pages of meeting minutes. You know exactly what went on in our program. When you're done with the meeting minutes, you should be able to send it to somebody who wasn't in the meeting and knows exactly what went on. If not, it didn't happen. Recommendations, any recommendations that are made, any discussions, any facility improvements, any concerns or corrections, and reference the person making the statement. That's where the power is. If some prominent employer is in that meeting, owner of a dealership or a company, and that person makes a recommendation, people need to know it came from him or her or not somebody over here. You need to know who made it. <coughs> I usually say two to four weeks after the meeting, send the copy out to all the committee members, whether they showed or not, campus principal or director, whether they showed up to the meeting or not. CTE director, school board members, superintendent's office. Now people say, what do you mean here? There's not an administrator in this country that doesn't want to know what business and industry has been on their campus. If you just send it to them, whether they open it or not, you've covered your butt. But I can tell you, if industry's been in your program, whether they liked what they saw or not, 
if they run into these folks, school board members or superintendent, at a Rotary or Chamber of Commerce meeting, guess what we're going to be talking about? Your cosmetology program, your construction parades program, your welding program, and that horrible auto tech program you got over there. Right? That's what we're going to be talking about. What are you doing with my money? Clearly, you're not spending it on me. And if it's in Texas, you're spending it on football stadiums, right? <laughs> you laugh. Our newest one, yeah. KDISD, yeah. part of a bond, $80 million. Yeah. And it's not the prettiest one. McAllen. <laughs> no, uh, CyFair. CyFair. So if you go to CyFair, just Google Barry Center. And you see the front of it, you walk up the staircase to Columns. It's a Parthenon Jeez. for high school football. High school football, $80 million. $80 million. Where's and Katie, it's right outside of Houston. So we were in a little school district, 26,000. When our son was in the band, we were season ticket holders to high school football. You're going, what? Yes, season ticket holders to high school football. Oh yeah, the sacred cow, don't mess with the cow. If you want to send it off to the dean, okay? Apartment chair, provost office. If those people can't be there, send it to them. They need to know, and if they don't read it, You've covered yourself. Don't schedule a losing ball game. Use that document to your benefit. It's in there, the information's there. We sent it to you. If there's some repercussion from the meeting, not because we didn't warn you, not because we didn't invite you either. This was a this was done a long time ago. It was done by a group called the Utilities Business Education Coalition out of Washington. I don't know if they exist anymore, but they surveyed out of every hundred students that graduated from high school, 70 enrolled in college, 42 returned for their sophomore year, 20, 34 advanced to their senior year, and 28 actually graduated in five years with a four-year degree. Right? That's about the average. I had a nephew who was on an eight-year plan. That's for a four-year degree. He got his parents convinced that he needed to stay those extra years. Yeah, he had a good time, okay? But only 14 are in em employed in their chosen occupation. We already know that. Many people with degrees are not in their field. If that was our report card as CTE, we'd be out of business. Our role and responsibility is that seamless transition between education and industry. We need to make sure that that pipeline is clean with no restrictions. We have to make sure that every student that is interested in our programs, that we provide them with the opportunity to be successful. Every one of us in this room, we surf Amazon, we surf other places because we want the best deal for our money. When a student takes your classes, whether they're paying for them or they're just serving their high school time, there's still a cost involved. Did we actually give them their money's worth? And if we didn't, shame on us. We expect to get our money's worth on everything. And if we don't get our money's worth, we want our money back. Those kids can never get their money back. They've invested in us. We need to provide them with the opportunity for the workforce. This is one of my fun slides. People say I can't give 100%, and I say, what part of the car don't you want me to put back on? Think about that one. Okay? We have to give 100%. Doctors would drop 50 newborn babies around the world if they only caught 99.9% .9 of them. 
Sure glad they catch them all. We would have one unsafe hour drinking water per month, two unsafe landings at O'Hare Airport every day. I have 2.2 million miles on an airplane. I'm sure glad they all land safely, okay? <laughs> 16,000 lost pieces of mail per hour. I think the folks office does take care of that for us, no problem. Yeah, they've achieved that. 20,000 incorrect drug prescriptions per month, 500 incorrect surgical operations per week, 22,000 checks would be deducted from the wrong account daily at 99.9%. And those of us that are baby boomers, this one's real important. Our heart would fail to beat 32,000 times a year. Sure glad that ticker's at 100%. <laughs> Folks, we ask 100% of our students every day, are we giving them 100%? If business and industry is not involved in your program and you're not asking business and industry what they need, and you are not utilizing the funds that they provide you correctly, you're not given 100%. No ifs, ands, or buts. Industry is the success of your students. It's the product that you produce. The other thing, if I hear one more teacher say, I'm not worried, I'm, I'm retiring in five years, I tell them, you already retired, you just forgot to tell somebody, okay? You just need to take it to the house. This is not an occupation that we have a five-year slide. Young people are investing in us. We need to make sure that all the resources possible and available to them are there, and we can't do it without industry support. Consultants, they're highly paid and used by many. Governments, military, corporations, small businesses, cities and towns, education, nonprofits, and others. Folks, having an advisory committee, it's like having a consultant and never receiving an invoice. Think about it. People pay me to do the darndest things when the answers are in their own community. I have a school district that wants to pay me to come to their school district to tell them that their automotive program is horrible. They all know it, but they want me to come and tell them that themselves. And I'm going, you gotta be kidding. But yeah, I can't tell you how many times that's it. Use your local people. Now, do you really understand millennials? First of all, we as baby boomers, we live to work. This generation works to live. Maybe they got it right. If you truly understand this generation and you ask them to work overtime, what do they ask for in return? Not money. Time off. They want comp time. Think about it. They want their time back. You don't understand that, that's a problem. Many of us in this room, gray hairs and no hairs, we were brought up, mom and dad, the same last name. Mom stayed at home, we had one car. That's not the makeup of the family today, is it? Eric Chester years back had a very powerful statistic. 2% of this generation, one or both parents are incarcerated. Think about that. When we were kids, we knew a kid who knew a kid who knew a kid who knew a kid who knew a kid whose dad was in jail, close to every guy. My sister-in-law taught kindergarten in San Antonio 39 years. Last 10 years, they weren't allowed to ask kindergartners what their parents did for a living. They are afraid of what was coming out of their mouth. This generation, if you understand this generation, they want a clean, safe, and work environment more than anything else. They want to feel like they're part of the family. If you can't make them part of the family, they're going to go find somebody who can. Most of them never had that. But... This generation has been killing certain products. They're killing American cheese right now. There's something in it that don't like it. This is the law. 
until they got buying it, okay? But about 12 years ago, cereal sales went in the toilet. And all the cereal companies went out and surveyed and tried to figure out why. Do you know why millennials don't eat cereal? It is so simple. When I tell you, you go, it's perfect cereal. They don't want to watch the bowl. <laughs> Nowadays, you can buy cereal in the convenience store, and all you do is add milk, right? They're appealing to this generation. Think about it. Every millennial knows, yeah, that's pretty true. We have to understand who we're working with. Like I said, we live in a small school district. We're about 26,000 people in our community. When my wife worked in the school district, we had backpack kids. And I said, what the heck is a backpack kid? She goes, they come in once a week and pick up their backpack that has food and provisions. We don't know where they live. I went, excuse me? We're not a poor community. We don't know where they live. They've either been kicked out or whatever. But these kids come to school every day. We don't know where they live. So we have to give 100%. They are relying on us to change that cycle in their life. And the only way we can do it is we as education have to communicate with industry. And let's be honest, most of the time what industry wants is less than we're teaching, but they want the kids to be really good at those three things. They don't want them to check the box that I completed all of this. I just want them to be able to do this. Folks, I want to thank you for your time today. And more than anything else, I hope I didn't waste your time. And that's what's important to me. There's no reason to waste somebody's time in a meeting or a presentation unless there's something in it for me. Thank you very much.